Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to your headquarters for documenting shameless bias by omission. It's time once again for the Newsbusters podcast. Our fearless Kevin Tober has been under the weather, so I made a point to watch every second of the evening newscasts on Thursday night. And I just wanted to start with two sort of non-political points. First, ABC led with 10 minutes of weather. Now, this is the stereotype. Like, David Muir wants the ABC to be the weather channel. But then when you get to the last 10 minutes of the newscast, they do like these cheesy 30-second updates, and then they run eight minutes of commercials. This is why, even as a scrawny teenager in Wisconsin, I skipped out of the news after the first 15 or 20 minutes. Speaking of the news, it was a big week for House Republican hearings. That means it was a big week for pretending they don't actually exist or they just automatically accomplish nothing. Joining us to discuss the IRS whistleblowers and the big tech narrative crushers, Stan Schneider, our Vice President of Free Speech America. Glad to be here, but I can't imagine you being scrawny. I was. <laughs> I was once. Yes, when Mrs. Graham met me, I was like 150 pounds. Wow. That's like 100 pounds ago. Well, you're also very tall. <laughs> yeah. You're not overweight I, to, to the listening oh, audience. Oh, yes. Well, it's not like, you know, you're, a, you're, a, you're a fit man, but you're, you're, you're a tall, broad man. I'd suggest you're being as corny as Kansas in August, but I'm probably cornier than you, even though you're from Kansas. I am from Kansas, but we grow more wheat than corn. Yeah. Right. It's too It'd dry. Be, in Kansas. I'd be, yeah, what is that with a lyric? I'm as corny as Iowa in August would be a better song lyric. Yeah. Uh, let's start with what is called the weaponization subcommittee hearing on Thursday. You know, they hate that. Just the word weaponization. I wanted to start with a clip of Emma Jo Morris of Breitbart touting a poll by little old us, the Media Research Center any estimates or do you have any general idea of how many people were denied access to your story because of the government censorship? So there are polls about that. Um, the MRC Media Research Center did a poll about, you know, it said 45% uh, uh, of Biden voters were not aware of the story. Um, but I think it also is an impossible question to answer because the thing about the censorship was not only that it was you know, deleted or whatever from Twitter. But also, um, it casted an aspersion on, on the reporting, on me, that was literally made up. It was made up. And there is a subset of this country where, despite the New York Times, the Washington Post, like literally fill in the blank, like liberal news legacy outlet that um, they all trust, They'll, like, they just reflexively think um, laptop from hell, fake, uh, Russia, whatever. Now, Emma Joe Morris was talking about her time at the New York Post in 2020, that notorious time when they had stories on the Hunter Biden laptop. But uh, uh, obviously, when you've suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop, you also want to suppress the hearing where they discussed the suppression. Right, and of course, uh, as, as was revealed and has been discussed several times, that... Uh, suppression occurred over the course of about a year where the FBI and the intelligence community uh, prepped big tech and legacy media that uh, 
the Russians very well may try to use some sort of story, say around Hunter Biden, you know, to to sow disinformation in the public. So just be prepared for that. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Well, remember, the FBI had the laptop for in 2019. So, yeah, it would be easy for them to say, let's imagine that the Hunter Biden laptop becomes an issue. We're holding it right now, so it won't be, but somebody might figure this out. One of the most revealing things from the hearing, because you know, there was there was new stuff that was revealed during this hearing. One of the, the most revealing things was that big tech at Twitter, Twitter employees asked the FBI, so is it real? Is the Hunter Biden laptop real? Is it a real thing? And they got two responses. The first agent said, yes. The second agent immediately said, but we're not going to talk about it. No more questions. But the FBI admitted to Twitter well before the election, it's real. And then, you know, as we know, the FBI put a figurative gun to the head of Twitter and Facebook and others and said, don't you dare report anything that's going to be bad for Biden. And silence conservatives here and silence conservatives there and suppress them here, suppress them there. You know, this is this is the deep state swinging the election for Joe Biden. And obviously, as we say all the time, this is something that's part of this whole process is not just the social media, but it's the news media who for years pressured the social media into curtailing and curbing everything just like they do. Uh, you noted, uh, our free speech team noted, Congressman Mike Johnson said, the American people are not aware of the magnitude of this case and its profound implications because most of the mainstream media is in on it too and they're trying to bury the story. Now, Brent Bozell would chew him, don't say mainstream media. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, you have, obviously the media elite is part of this entire equation and this is why it seems to me they have tried to suggest that all... All the documentation in the Twitter files, all the investigative journalism, they treat it all like it's conspiracy garbage. Well, how many stories appeared in the Washington Post after yesterday's hearing on RFK Jr. about that hearing? This amazing hearing. How many, how many stories appeared in the Washington Post? We didn't see it today. It meaning a story or it being I didn't the post. see a story. I know. I don't think there's a single story anywhere in the Washington Post. I don't I don't know if the New York Times covered it at all. And it was amazing. It was very revealing. Lots of information uncovered. Of course the Democrats spent the whole time trying to censor the story about censorship. Uh, what I did see was I believe the news hour on PBS last night did like eleven minutes on Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This on some level was where, uh, and I think the CBS Evening News had a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. story. And then there was Lawrence O'Donnell, who just had this long editorial about how he went to college with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And back then he was a loser who didn't pay any attention in class. And he's addicted to attention. And, but this is the best part for the free speech team. I, this, I had to tweet this line. He said, uh, O'Donnell said, the hearing was supposed to be about censorship, but it wasn't, since no one could come up with any examples of government censorship. That's a summation. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is now a couple of weeks old, but we did just have Judge Doty of the Western Dis- District of Louisiana, who issued 
a preliminary injunction preventing the Biden administration from colluding and coercing big tech uh, from silencing conservatives. That opinion, 155-page opinion, 85 pages of examples, example after example of after example. 80, it took them 85 pages to list a small portion of the examples of government censorship. I will do Lawrence O'Donnell a favor and send him and I'll, I'll send him just the 85 pages. I will, I will not give him the legal analysis that followed, just the 85 pages of examples of government collusion with big tech to silence conservative speech. I imagine the, the cuteness he's playing there is, is that they want to say, well, no, this wasn't government censorship. It was merely the government advised them about the misinformation they should prevent. And the private sector took care of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. here's one example off the top of my head. Uh, when somebody in the White House contacted Twitter and said, there's this parody account about Jill Biden. I cannot stress the urgency that this be resolved ASAP. Let me know as soon as you have resolved the matter. <laughs> well, this is exactly the problem. It's one thing for them to say, well, we think it's very important to rebut or limit RFK Jr. saying all vaccines are terrible. It's another to basically be that blunt. I mean, that's a beautiful example because you're basically saying we don't like anybody mocking Mrs. Biden. I mean, or I'm sorry, Dr. Biden. Doctor. She has a PhD, right? No, no, I'm she, sorry, she it's has, not a PhD. She has a doctorate in, in, education. in education. In education. Yeah, it was. It's she's not a medical doctor. Whoopi Goldberg thought she was a great medical doctor, which shows you again the level of misinformation you can get on the View. Well, yeah, Dr. Carson and Dr. Biden they look a lot alike, so she may have gotten them confused. <laughs> I so, but I this is where you want to say to the liberals and the and these journalists. When you try to curtail things that are critical of the Bidens, the universe can sort of see this is not about uh, the spread of the coronavirus. It's not about Russian narratives. It's you're basically saying we're it's we're going to shut everything down. We know the idea that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian misinformation was cooked up by Anthony Blinken and the Biden campaign. Then they went out and solicited all their buddies in the national security establishment to put out a letter that they could cite in a debate that it was somehow Russian disinformation. And it doesn't matter that that's all become garbage. Lawrence O'Donnell's still saying, well, you guys don't have any examples. You know, it's sort of like Jamie Raskin in the other hearing saying in this hearing today of the IRS whistleblowers, you will hear nothing that makes, you know, that lays a finger on the Biden administration. Like they've never done anything wrong ever. Yeah. That's of course, Raskin's signal to the Washington Post. Don't worry. You don't need to write a story. Yeah. Which they did not. Correct. That was really amazing to me because I might expect when we sit here on a late afternoon and say, what's going to happen tonight? And we could say, it won't surprise me if ABC and CBS and NBC somehow trip and fall and can't get up and find this story. But you expect the national newspapers to at least do a story. So when they had the Christopher Ray hearing, uh, they all put it inside the paper. 
I think the Washington Post was the best one in terms of placement. They put it on A2. They can't possibly put it on the front page. So, yes, I was so flustered when I opened up the paper on Thursday and couldn't find a story anywhere. I went through Metro. I went through the style section where they got the Barbie movie reviews. I was, you know, I'm going through sports. I just want to totally confirm nowhere in this paper was there any mention that there was a hearing on IRS whistleblowers. It's, it is stunning. And of course, on the front page of the paper, they had a big story, uh, a Trump scandal story with the byline for post reporters. The headline was January 6th probes point to charges. Trump's role looms large. I mean, that's, that is what we expect. I was surprised there was nothing in the paper. That that to me is like a whole different level. I can, Tim, Tim, dear sweet Tim, silly silly Tim. Let me explain this to you. <laughs> they can't do anything that might harm Joe Biden's chances because if they start to scratch and discover a genuine scandal, the scandal that we all see, then Joe's got to go. And who are we then left with as the sitting president of the United States and thus Ooh. the presumptive nominee? Oh. <laughs> the Washington Post and the New York Times, they know that they cannot do anything that would install Kamala Harris <laughs> as the president of the United States because we have an election right around the corner and they would then lose the White House. I think it's fair to say that uh, there's a decent chance that the, the Democrats lose the White House anyway at this point given his approval ratings this is why on some level they're also invested in in donald trump winning i mean now we have a court date for trump uh in may and they seem upset because it's after the primaries or something it's in the middle of the election year you know james comey said you couldn't possibly indict hillary clinton because she was running for president we're i mean we're looking at uh, you know, Fulton County, they're going to start talking about indictments. You know, Eugene Carroll's going to keep... Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. You're telling me that there's a double standard? Well, there's, there's, Hold the presses! No, but the problem is, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a Trump campaign operative, you're like, and the New York Times is really enjoying this prospect... Where will they be able to uh, attend the debates in between all the court dates? Right. Right. Between the trials and the depositions and the and the this and the that, uh, he's not going to be able to campaign because he's going to be in court. And so, I mean, obviously, they will use the word unprecedented to attack Trump. Like it's unprecedented we've had a leader this criminal, whereas Republicans hear that as it's unprecedented in the way that the Democrat establishment, including the media, is waging war on a presidential candidate and a former president in a way that we all know if anything like this happened to a Democrat. You mean like taking $5 million from Ukraine to, to fire a prosecutor? <laughs> well, and right, so here we have this where they, and they're not gonna cover that today. It's like Charles Grassley releases a memo that makes it look like they bribed the Bidens. Well, There's evidence. It, by the way, I, I, let's make sure this is straight because th there's a difference between bribery and extortion. Extortion is worse. Joe, what, what the evidence shows, and maybe Joe Biden could refute this evidence, but the evidence 
shows that the sitting Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, used the power of the federal government to extort millions of dollars from Ukraine or else, or else Ukraine would not get, you know, billions of dollars in aid. It, extortion is worse than mere bribery. Joe Biden has been accused with evidence of extortion as, as the sitting vice president of the United States. Well, it's not the first time that we've visited this subject. The first time we visited this subject was them somehow impeaching Trump over what Biden did. Is that the crime was that Donald Trump had a phone call with Zelensky where he said, you know, could you guys do something to get this story on the agenda? And the comedy of that, of course, is he would never have to make that phone call if he had the liberal news media in his pocket. You know, you just go direct. You know, I guess you can go to Sally Busby, who's on top of the Washington Post, and go, Sally, file me a story. Put it on the front page. And she'd say, yes, sir. Well, <laughs> Sally Busby, who, who part of her compensation has come directly from George Soros. Mm. The bulk of her com compensation, of course, comes from Bezos. Right. But uh, this is a powerful combination of funding sources that Sally Busby is, is beholden to. What now? Give it. Get, can you be more precise? Yes. Well, well, Soros does what? We here at the Media Research Center. I don't know. Maybe six, eight months ago, produced a study. You know, one of our Soros investigations that showed that that George Soros um, had funded um, scores and scores of people and in the media yeah. um, with very various perks and benefits, and she was one of them. Okay. NPR got money. And, right. And uh, uh, what's the the gentleman on NBC Nightly News? What Lester Holt? Lester Holt got funding, and Sally Busby got funding, you know, from George Soros and and his and his foundations. Well, that doesn't yeah, that doesn't hurt in terms of how you cover or don't cover George Soros. I mean, <laughs> I I think that what so I was not necessarily surprised when ABC did not cover the IRS whistleblowers, um, but. It just so, looks so absurd, you know, as we started. The Thursday night newscast led with 10 minutes on weather. So you can do 10 minutes on heat waves and uh, rain and not do a story on, an, on, a, on a hearing. So, so, Tim, I have to confess something. I have been trolling NPR for years now. When they start, when NPR first was covering this allegation that Biden uh, had pressured Ukraine to fire uh, the Burisma, the, the prosecutor looking into Burisma on behalf of his son. And NPR just was, every time they would mention this story, it was only to attack Trump to say the debunked story on Ukraine. And, mm -hmm. and I've been trolling NPR on Twitter saying, please explain to me how this is debunked. And I really want to know, I mean, d does NPR have an explanation how there's nothing there there? But I've never seen, I've, I've had interns go on the NPR site. I, I've tried to find somebody who can explain to me, including a, f a friend of mine who used to be a reporter at NPR. I just texted him last night. Nobody will respond to me how NPR has debunked this story. They just like to use the word debunked. Yeah, I think that they debunked is totally an overused word. And, and the Associated Press just had a story on the Grassley 
release of this document saying, you know, they're going back to previously debunked that. And I think they're just all somehow so confident that this is something they established in impeachment number one. Um, I think what they're saying is debunked is that the firing of that Shokin, the prosecutor in Ukraine, that Shokin wasn't investigating Burisma. It's something, it's something in that neighborhood. Now, for a lot of people who try to follow these things, scandals get very labyrinthine and people uh, get lost in all the details. And that's why, to me, it's really more all about narrative. And that is, our narrative is Trump is a danger to democracy. He's a budding authoritarian. He's, he's American Hitler. And Biden's just, you know, restoring the soul of the nation. And that's the narrative they want. And if it doesn't match that, uh, so yes, NPR then it's misinformation. NPR did not cover the uh, the IRS whistleblower hearing. Not only did they not cover it on the show they call All Things Considered, which is the dumbest title in news. Uh, they did not cover it on Morning Edition. Um, I, then you you can go back and listen to the top of the hour newscast because those change every hour. Well, I listen to like from four, five, six, seven, eight p.m. and they had Trump news. They had Trump's in trouble news. None of those five newscasts mentioned there was an IRS whistleblower hearing. I mean, they can cover the world, the Women's World Cup. In fact, All Things Considered and Morning Edition had multiple stories on the Women's World Cup, including two minutes on the history of the sports bra, but no space for this hearing. And it's a bipartisan hearing. Jamie Raskin made an absolute fool of himself you had both parties involved in this. Unlike the January 6th committee hearings, you had both parties making their partisan points and NPR, taxpayer-funded, uh, couldn't find the space to think that this was somehow a public issue or the, 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 the public business. It's, it's, it is a little mind-boggling to me, but except for this, NPR has a rabid left-wing audience that doesn't want to hear it. And that really explains why does, it, why does the Washington Post not have it. Well, well, well look, look, it's NPR, the same thing. Uh, it's the Media Research Center, as I recall, years and years ago, broke the story about how NPR was selling its list to the Democrat Party for fundraising purposes. No, sorry, let me correct. WGBH Television in Boston had yeah had sold its list to the Democratic Party of Massachusetts and some mom who gave money to WGBH cuz she loved Barney and Friends or her kid loved Barney and Friends she started getting a bunch of democrat yeah. direct mail and she figured it out and the Boston Globe reported it and the what happened with that is yes the media research center i was allowed to testify about this what was wrong with NPR and PBS at the time but uh um it's probably still going on. It's I don't just think you going were allowed quietly. to testify. You were requested. Congress requested well, you to testify because they know you're a very smart man. I was allowed. I was allowed to to sit two seats down from Ken Burns <laughs> <laughs> and want to muss his hair up real bad. And as I said earlier in this podcast, you're a very tall man, and Ken Burns is not. That's true. You would have been looking down on him. Yes, he still is scrawny. 
He still is scrawny. I am not scrawny, but Ken Burns still scrawny. But he's, a, like NPR, he's a guy who has made tons and tons of money oh. on the backs of taxpayers. No question. No question. And maybe that's one of my my next moves. Let's get all of Ken Burns' tax returns. Okay, I got it. <laughs> he did the baseball series, and, and I, I think we should do the women's soccer series. <laughs> there. You know, well, the, that's the right in their part, sweet the spot. But I, I, look, when it comes to women's soccer, it is superior to men's soccer. I don't want to see a bunch of floppers. All these guys who pretend to have been tripped or hurt or something, they roll down writhing on the, the pitch and uh, pretending as if their leg has been cut off. And, and then, of course, they take a, take a glance over at the ref, see that the ref has moved on, so then they jump up and start playing it. Women don't do that. In women's soccer, they don't flop. I would say uh, we, we can tell the audience that the MRC is very divided on soccer. We have fervent soccer lovers. Well, I'm not. And we have people who think soccer is a terrible sport. That it's like grass hockey, uh, I, and nobody cares. I'm not a soccer fan, but if, if I were to watch a soccer game, a match, it would be women's soccer because men's soccer is sucks. It's horrible. <laughs> now, this was a viewpoint I did not expect to hear yeah. on the podcast today. We had to laugh today. Uh, speaking of what the Washington Post covers and doesn't cover, they have a big story on the front page today that goes spills over into an entire page inside the paper. No advertisements on that page. Just investigative reporting. The headline was, Activist Leo, Leonard Leo, mm -hmm. oh. aided, aided drive to lionize Thomas. And the whole scandal, as the Post saw it, is someone, some vast right-wing conspiracy, was orchestrating positive press for Clarence. As if these people, I mean, it's even mentioned in the article that they polished Anita Hill. We, we know they polished every inch of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, speaking of scrawny. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll tell you why they feel free going after Leonard Leo. He's Catholic, right? Yes. All uh, the the, the uh, George uh, getting back to George Soros. He has funded lots of organizations that specifically are guided missiles against Clarence Thomas and other conservatives on the bench. Uh, efforts, you know, but he's Jewish, right? So you you're, if you say anything negative about George Soros, you're an anti-Semite. Right. Whereas if you're a white evangelical or a white Catholic, then the left assumes you're automatically evil and fair game. So of course they're going after Leonard because he's white and he's Catholic and he's a man. So he's fair game. Yeah, and, well, in a similar way with Harlan Crow, that they're basically, he didn't have any business before the court. Didn't matter. He's still a, yes, an evil white conservative taking Clarence Thomas on vacations. <laughs> Just, you're not allowed to have any friends if you're a conservative jurist. Yeah, you have to just stay at home. Well, this is, is, once again, this whole push and its timing that we suddenly discovered that conservative justices are uh, horribly unethical just happens to happen at this particular juncture when the, when the court is six to three conservatives by their count. Mm -hmm. uh, so suddenly ethics is a big issue, which is kind of comical because, once again, as we know, why don't you cover Hunter Biden's ethics? Yeah, and, and correct me if you have more information on this than I have, but I don't think anybody's actually accused Clarence Thomas of not accurately filling out the ethics forms. They just think that the ethics forms ought to be broader than they've been 
for the Supreme Court. Nobody, I don't think anybody's accused him of, of lying. They've just said, well, you should have given us even more information so we could beat you up. Yeah, he's, he's, he's guilty of uh, you know, doing things that are <laughs> legal and allowed. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that is the nature of journalism sometimes. So you know, they all run around. ProPublica is another, it's a stupid name for a group because obviously they're anti-Republicana. I mean, it was just, you know, ProPublica. They, 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 and uh, obviously it's the same thing. I think Soros, that's got to be on the Soros list. Lord knows it's, it got, it's got a whole bunch of, of lib course. liberal funders. Yes. Is that, you know, nobody in the liberal media, when they cite ProPublica's reporting, is going to say, and who's paying the bills at ProPublica? And what is their mission? So, I mean, that's, it, it is always amusing the way that everybody who is a leftist journalist is like just begging for a Pulitzer. And everybody who's of a conservative bent who does journalism um, is engaged in fake news. Gosh, that sounds partisan. That sounds ideological. Well, it's easy to be a liberal these days. You get, you get patted on the back by the people with money. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, what does Chris Plant say? It's good to be a Democrat. I mean, it, it, it really is a very slanted system, and that's why we're still around. You know, n people used to say, well, television news won't be a thing by the time, by 2000, or television news won't be a thing by 2020. Well, that's why I'm the vice president for Free Speech America, focusing first on big tech, because yeah. social media... That is another form of media, and it and it's and it is weaponized, you know, as as you know, and as we've discussed on this podcast before, Google and others uh, have weaponized their their assets to attack conservatives, to promote liberals and socialism and all sorts of evils, uh, because they want to upend America. There is no question. Now, is there anything else coming on the horizon? Ah, yes, indeed. I heard you saying, what was it again, the phrase, of media literacy? Yeah, so uh, conservatives have learned these important phrases, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Which means nothing of that. Right, it does not mean it's Orwellian. any of those things, yeah. And, of, and before that, we, l we learned CRT. Uh, well, the next phrase for conservatives to learn is media literacy. And uh, next Wednesday, DHS Secretary Mayorkas will go before the House Judiciary Committee. And I hope that we're going to learn more about what DHS thinks is media literacy. And of course, I'll tell you right now, what it means is the government's efforts to silence political opponents using taxpayer dollars. In my experience in recent years, yes, media literacy, when people hold media literacy workshops, especially for students, it's all about fact checkers and misinformation. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody needs to read their PolitiFact. Like, that's not a biased pile of DNC messaging. Uh, and so we would obviously suggest Newsbusters and the Media Research Center, we're all about media literacy. That's what we do. Yeah. We make conservatives understand how the media business operates, what journalism is, what it could be or should be. Um, we certainly are against misinformation as we define it. Is the problem is, yes, the way that they define misinformation is incredibly convenient for them. Yeah, well, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. 
um, Joe Biden does not think, Tim Graham, that you are a reliable source for media literacy, whereas Al Jazeera, <laughs> literally Al Jazeera and Vice and Vox and MSNBC and the Center for American Progress, those are all very reliable sources. I had this conversation years ago with a, I want to say she was the executive producer of Face the Nation under Leslie Stahl. And we were discussing the group, the Children's Defense Fund, yeah. which of course Hillary- but Wait, is this the same Leslie Stahl who worked, later worked in the Biden, or the, the, the Obama-Biden administration? No, that would have been, uh, oh, who oh, are you mentioning? Linda, Linda, Linda Douglas. Linda Douglas. Stahl. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, Linda Yes, Douglas. Leslie Stahl still at 60 Minutes. Okay. But Leslie Stahl was the host of Face the Nation before Margaret Brennan and Schieffer, whatever. Um, so this, I, it, this must have been the 90s. But it was a real eye-opener for me at the time as a young person. Um, a, we, a young, scrawny person. I might have been heavier by then. But the, uh, the, uh, the point being that it was about the Children's Defense Fund had some statistics. They had a spin on Census Bureau numbers. And I said to this producer at CBS, um, wouldn't you say that the Census Bureau as a, uh, a federal government representative of all the people agency would be the numbers that you should use, that they would be the most objective? And she, without even blinking, was like, oh, no, no. The Children's Defense Fund is much more reliable than the Census Bureau. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, maybe she has some. So maybe she was, had premonitions about what uh, a future Biden administration was going to do with government data. It is. It it absolutely defines that when they say reliable, it means something different. Mm -hmm. It means reliably on our side. You yes. know, just like <laughs> reliable sources on CNN means. This was the comical thing, too. I haven't done this yet because it takes too much time and probably isn't worth it. Oliver Darcy's newsletter, Reliable Sources, had like this snotty little paragraph about the IRS whistleblowers hearing under like 2,500 words on Netflix earnings and whatnot. So, I mean, that's, again, the, the fact that CNN mentioned they were hearings, I guess, makes them better than some of these media outlets. Anyway... Thank you, Mr. Schneider, for coming on and bringing us your wisdom. Uh, and if you need to catch up, there is a free speech section at Newsbusters. You can click on it right there in the orange there and get all of the updates in one place. And, of course, uh, if for all of your media bias needs, you got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.